Hello and welcome to episode 10 of the Figure Podcast. Each week we figure out people, numbers and images of the past, present and future. This week is the 10th episode, which means double digits. We've made it! We're no longer... What would you be? Primary school? No, we'd still be in primary school. (laughs) Next week we go to secondary school. Oh, that's exciting. That is a a weird metaphor. (laughs) Anyway, um, so what has this week meant to you? This week has mean lots of spending time with some of my favourite people in the world, including you, obviously. Um, And also Mary, who I went to school with, and Kate, who we met travelling. And it was just one of the best weekends I've ever had. It was so much fun. Did it feel like a bit like we were at uni? No, it was way better than uni. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, no, okay. I had, gr- I say I had great uni experience. Not that I didn't. Living, living, in, living with girlfriends, but it actually genuinely felt like uni. Like we went out and had a great time. It was time. like if we all went to uni together. That's yeah, what that's what been. I meant. That's yeah. what I meant. And we okay. just come downstairs. Uh, some, some of us still drunk. Some of us really hungover. <laughs> and just laugh. It felt like that. It felt like an adult we was just about love. to come and be like, yeah. okay, guys, back to school. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Time to write an essay. Yeah, no, but we didn't have fun. to do any of that. It was great. And we just had so much food and tried Mary's parents' amazing eau de vie, which is mm-hmm. similar to gin, called Never 25. Mm. And it's just so delicious. Type of it's really, yeah. really lovely. So, so good. Um, she's become a, a real gin connoisseur now. She was telling yeah. us all about different tonic waters. Very specific about the tonic waters. <laughs> I think we were all a bit intimidated <laughs> our opinions of tonic water. I just thought... I was I just like, like, Tesco value is fine. I, I, I was like, fever tree? Isn't that really, like, decadent? Apparently not. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so we did that, and we also went to see Mamma Mia 2, which was fantastic, so another great dose of girl power, and then we just took that energy and splashed it onto the dance floor mm-hmm. on Saturday, yes. and we were all dancing queens. Yes. In particular, you. Me. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you guys were all just throwing great shapes as well, but I wasn't really aware so, of anybody Charlotte else. Was, Charlotte was, had no awareness of anyone else, and if you tried to tell her something, she wouldn't really hear you. Or if she did hear you, she just jolt off in the opposite direction. I just keep spinning. I just, I just spent the whole spinning. time spinning. And I just thought, wow, I have no idea like what is going on in her mind. And I hope and she just stayed, you stayed upright the whole time. I was so impressed. Thanks. Because you were spinning <laughs> literally the whole time. <laughs> oh, um, the other thing that I've listened to this week, which was really, really interesting and which I would highly recommend, is How to Fail, which is presented by Elizabeth Day, and I listened to the episode with Sebastian Folks, who wrote Bird Song yeah. and 14 other books. Mm. And it's really, I love it as a concept for a podcast because I think that we don't talk about our failures enough and how they can quite often become successes. Was, the, was it the Hilo that recommended Yeah, the Hilo it? recommended it. I remember them talking about it, and, and, and it's actually really important to talk about failure. Mm. Uh, no one talks about it. Mm-hmm. We all highlight. But Sebastian Folks was a very interesting guest because he essentially couldn't see any of his failures as failures because he always got value out of whatever Mm. other people may have perceived that failure to be that's so interesting i think that's well that's a great way of looking at it it is yeah it's very hard to do sometimes but again depends on your mindset i suppose but that's a really great idea for a podcast yeah i want to listen to lots of the other ones actually Mm. what have you been listening to this week i listened to the best episode of desert island discs that i've ever listened to 
and it was uh, with Billie Jean King. I listened to it twice in a row. And I've I'm only ch- ever listened to one twice, which is which uh, one? Bill Nye, oh, which Nye's I would say is, is the best ever. But I haven't listened to Billie Jean King, Billie so King. I'm so excited and, and to actually, listen to that. I'm actually not going to say too much about it because I I want you to listen to it okay. and then message me when you when you've listened to it. And okay. everyone listening, anyone listening, go listen to Billie Jean Billie Jean King Desert Island Disc and then message us when you have tweet us or at figure podcast or instagram or, or, or email the yeah. figure podcast at it, was, it was just oh, it was brilliant it was so so fun and i listened to it coming home from portsmouth last night i think i got in at quarter to 12 and i was walking from the tube station and you know that time in london where everything's quiet because everyone's gone to bed and it's, yeah. school, it's a school night but it's sort of the best time to w- walk around yeah. i think and, yeah. and late summer is just always late summer nice. exactly so I loved it um and I yeah it was great yeah so how was Portsmouth Portsmouth was awesome I basically went to Southampton to surprise uh one of my best friends Claire whose birthday is today as we record this oh happy birthday uh, Claire. yeah welcome to 22 club um <laughs> and is she, she only 22 now she's only 22 oh, now oh she's the Taylor Swift age now I know I've got very long for that I left. Know. I've got two weeks left. Oh! Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, and she had no idea we were coming, so she burst into tears when she saw us, which was lovely. And it was so lovely to see her family. I just love surprises. And I love surprises. So people. much. It's so much fun. It's actually the best. Because you know how much joy that hopefully that person is going to get from from what you're doing, and that's just the greatest thing ever. Absolutely. So. I completely agree. So, yeah, that was my week. And let's get on with the podcast. So the first figure that we're going to be talking about this week is the incredible actress Meryl Streep, who is the most nominated actor uh, for the Academy Award with a total of 21 nominations. And she has won three times uh, for her roles in Kramer vs. Kramer, Sophie's Choice and The Iron Lady. And the reason that we chose her was actually probably on our Mamma Mia theme, wasn't it? We were yeah. we were counting down the, the days until Mamma Mia were both very, very excited to were see released. that. And we me thought, more than anybody else. I don't think there's anyone who's ever been as excited to see a film as me. Very true. <laughs> and so we thought, actually, we, we love Meryl Streep. Um, and it's actually really challenging to try and take her whole career and life and put it in 10 minutes. So... We yeah. attempt this now, <laughs> as we have with many other people. Yes. You're also absolutely <laughs> phenomenal. Uh, <clears throat> what is your favourite fact that you've discovered about Meryl Streep? Oh, that's interesting. Um, what is my favourite fact? Well, I was watching Graham Norton, and uh, as, as usual, <laughs> and she was on Graham Norton a couple of years ago, and she said that upon turning forty, she was offered three witch roles within one year. And she Ooh. said, "I that was a very clear sign as to what Hollywood saw, how Hollywood saw age." Do you think Michelle Pfeiffer would have been the same? Probably with Stardust. She, yeah. I mean, she did an incredible job in that yeah. film. Well, Meryl Streep did play a witch in Into the Woods. Okay, and that's why she, I think she was promoting that film in the interview, and that's why she spoke about it. And obviously, oh. she was you know sixty five at the time, um, and it got me thinking because not only is that a problem in Hollywood, but I remember when I was very young. Uh, a a friend of mine's mother who used to be a model used to tell us that youth is beauty and I think I don't know whether that was 
Mm. I don't know whether that that was probably obviously a very 70s, 80s, 90s supermodel era, but I feel like that's definitely changing now. Yeah, I I think there's a huge amount more that we can do, and I think there's a long way to go. But I definitely would agree with that. For for sure. Um, And then I started to think about other actresses like Meryl Streep, who are as well known as her and who are still in roles constantly. And I couldn't think of that many at all. I just thought Mm. Judi Dench, Helen Mirren. Yep. I'd agree with that. Christine Baranski, but I only know... Celia Imre's in quite a few. She was in Mamma Mia as well. Yep. Um, Julie Walters? Yeah, Julie Walters. But I feel like with men, I could literally... Emma Thompson? ...list reams and reams of names. So... That's true. I just... I saw that and I thought, oh, that was really interesting. That is true. Hmm. Was that your favourite interview that you watched or listened to with Graham Um, Norton? With Graham Norton... Oh, I can't possibly choose my favorite interview. That's really <laughs> no, no, hard. no, that you listen to in relation to Meryl Streep. Um, I really enjoyed an interview that she gave with Phyllida Lloyd, who Me too. made I listened to the, the same Iron, one, The Iron Lady, mm. uh, which was a BBC podcast. Um, and they were talking about Margaret Thatcher and the film in general, and mm. that was really interesting. I wish that all actresses and actors can do interviews like that for every single film. They yeah, probably, it was they probably so do, brilliant. Because it's just so interesting mm. to hear that sort of insight mm-hmm. about a film and about that character, and especially about Margaret Thatcher, who was so polarising. Yes. She's almost seen as, like, a monster and a saint. Yes. And, like they said, the parallel And not very much in between. Meryl being a, an American actress with all those British extras. Yes. That sort of awkwardness. But then she... I think that what Meryl Streep was talking about in that podcast was that she actually had a very different perspective on the character of Margaret Thatcher because she wasn't Mm. a part of the awkward British habits that were quite key to bringing that film alive. Like that stereotypical conservative party, Mm. like privileged Mm -hmm. white male. Mm -hmm. And actually she came from a very humble background. Um, And I know that comparison to Mm -hmm. Ronald Reagan. Mm -hmm. And they were very close. Mm -hmm. And that was very interesting. And I thought, actually, yeah, that... And I, I and yeah, because she compared it to being yeah exactly as you just said. I've only mm. just fully clocked what you said. Um, <laughs> American long weekend. <laughs> American coming in to a cast of British people is yeah. an outsider. Yes, Margaret Thatcher coming into a male-dominated party and yeah. just Parliament in general yeah. is the same sort of yeah. outsider. Yeah, and yeah. what she also said, which was really interesting, was that she thought that she was talking about the class system in the UK and she said that that was even more of a problem for Margaret Thatcher than her gender. Yes. She was because so she was brought down up upon by a grocer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. A sort of working class family. Mm-hmm. And I thought, gosh, yeah, that's so true. Yeah. That is actually worse, to be mm-hmm. perfectly honest. Yeah. Um, but I guess that's perspective, isn't it? But Iron Lady was definitely one of my favourite Meryl Streep films. Yes, um, I agree. What other films were your favourites oh so many I know but if you had to okay if you had to choose three I have my three so three so you have to choose three Mamma Mia 1 yes Devil Wears Prada of course mmm and then The Post yeah I put the same but I put um the Iron Lady because I loved The Iron Lady. Have you seen The Post? I haven't seen The Post. Oh, that might that, change your mind. Is that with her and Tom Hanks? Yes. Yes, and it's just recently come out, hasn't it? It came yeah. out earlier this year and it was so timely. Mm. It was unbelievable. And also in terms of her incredible Golden Globes 
speech when she says she'd lost her voice and then she turns that into part of her speech and she says and I've lost my mind this year watching at some of the people who have grown to the top and have and he she it was essentially about Donald Trump yeah but it was such a powerful speech because she didn't actually have to say any names no. and everybody was moved I mean people were moved to tears by this speech and she mm. talks about the importance of the press and freedom of speech and how we must all work together and how Hollywood is essentially made up of outsiders and she reeled off all of that huge list mm. of where everybody comes from, where they grew up and and how it is their responsibility to keep sharing important stories and keep telling them and doing the journalism mm. and then The Post is all about similar thing. So it's all about publishing the stories of the White House when they were continuing to put people into the Vietnam War when they knew that they were going to lose. Oh, that's so... Okay, that's... Honestly, like it's that the, one love. of the most brilliant films. And Tom Hanks is also fantastic. Yeah, he's fab. But I listened to a great interview with both of them, actually. And Tom Hanks is great. I mean, he his heart is definitely in the right place, but he put his foot in it several times. Did he? <laughs> and, and Meryl Streep just is so fast to... She, she's him completely unapologetic. I really like that word. Guy Lodge used that in an, in an article I read about her. And uh, so Tom Hanks was saying how... They were talking about Trump. And he says, well, if anything, actually does prove that anyone can be president. And he mm. wasn't supporting him at all. And he, but he was saying, look, this is sort of a weird example, isn't it? Mm. And Meryl Streep said, proves that half of the population could be a president. Yeah. But, mm. um, but speaking yeah. of her being unapologetic, what did you think of Lily James's uh, portrayal of the young Donna Sheridan in Mamma Mia 2. So Mamma Mia 2, the story is that uh, it basically is looking back on the life of Meryl Streep's character, Donna, and how she came to Greece. And I love Lily James's portrayal of, I just couldn't stop watching her. Really. Yeah, she's lovely. completely mesmerising. In the same way that Meryl Streep is. Yeah, and apparently Lily James, I saw several interviews with her, she said she watched the first film over a hundred times and just watched... I've already done that anyway. <laughs> watched countless but yeah, she interviews did. with yeah. her to try and get those certain mannerisms mm. and sort of parts of her personality. Mm-hmm. Um, and she did it. She really... She was trying to get the essence of Donna. And, yeah, and I what I loved about did. the interviews that she did, she's, people asked her, asked her if she was nervous, obviously. Mm. And she said, at first I was just terrified. But then she realised I'm not portraying a younger Meryl Streep. I am portraying a younger Donna Sheridan, which was mm. a character that Meryl Streep has brought to yeah. life. Yeah. And so it, it changes the way that you're viewing it mm. and she and it was said just, that it she was, was very camp it was yeah. great I, yeah. I thought it was great I thought she because <laughs> it's not I mean it's not I mean yes she is Meryl Streep but at the end of the day I don't I think she'd be the last person to want anyone to feel intimidated about it absolutely right yeah so but Lily was James great. is talking about things like the little pop that she does when she's with her dungarees yeah. and the way that she walks and the way that she laughs and this huge range and she'll go really really high and then she'll go really really low <sighs> and like just how she carries yeah, herself absolutely it's how she carries herself mm. and and unapologetic being the key word here and this is what I really liked about Lily James's portrayal and she did this consciously because the character Donna Sheridan sleeps with three different men in the space of two weeks I actually have an interesting article about that yeah um because I was reading about Mamma Mia 2 and I kind of wasn't really sure I don't know, I really, I really did like it and I just, I really enjoyed it overall just as an experience. But I definitely had my moments where I thought, oh, this really isn't as good as the first film. Um, 
but I didn't have this view, which was a very harsh view that I read um, in The Spectator this week by a journalist named Deborah Ross. And she wrote some pretty awful things about what you just said about the three men, because obviously the, the point of this film is that she doesn't know who her daughter's father is because mm-hmm. it was three summer romances. Yeah. And um, she makes the point in the article that we're waiting for Meryl Streep for over 100 minutes in the film. Which I would agree with. Which I would agree with, because um, we were all waiting for her, and that was sort of a, almost a downside, and that actually one of the reasons why the first film was better was because she was in it more. Yeah, I agree. Um, but anyway, this is what she says about the three-father thing. She says, The cause of Donna's death is never specified, but maybe shagging three men in as many days without protection catches up with you somehow. Donna was apparently a student at Oxford University. We don't know what her subject was, but it probably wasn't contraception studies. But we see her at her graduation. And it just makes me put my head in my hands. This is a female journalist. What? I just think that that is... It's not funny at all. I think it's very... It's also not it's just, true. It's missing the point entirely. Completely missing the point. And also, not possible. Okay, if you slept with three men when you were 20 and the character is in, is implied that she's died at sort of in her 50s. Oh yeah, I mean it's just stupid. not that's just stupid. That's not going to have affected her literally. No. And I know she's making a joke in the article, but that's it's just not a not, very it's, funny it's joke. It's not very funny. No. But Lily so Lily James talks about how obviously race not racy like what how would you describe it? She is she is Donna is quite a racy character, isn't she? She's quite sort of, but I think it's more one of those things of just a very normal character just happens to find yeah. herself in this situation, which everyone does at some point, or you know, another way you you may or may not. You I know, think it's just because it's meet not really, someone. It's and... not really spoken about, but I no. think it would it happens to all the time. Yes, yeah. lots and lots and lots and lots yeah. of people, and we never think anything of it. No, um, but I think that Lily James did not want to apologize for any of the behavior that is shown in this film because and I thought that I just loved the details of the backstory they showed quite poignantly how each one was met and her kind of attitude towards each of them and I just loved seeing all of those relationships play out it's a very normal respectful like consensual like just relationship it was cause for contention and I just thought that was really cheap a cheap shot yeah of Deborah Ross to to bring that up in that article whereas she's criticizing the film that's fine and she's criticizing and it's essentially saying that it's un it's not believable that the character of Donna who doesn't know anything about contraception Mm. uh doesn't you know can go to Oxford it's like they can't be you can't do both or you can't go to Oxford and have have a child and you don't know necessarily know who the father is it's like well that's but also completely I, ridiculous if you if you did have the, the, those three experiences with three different people mm. and you could have used protection yeah you're still not going to be 100 percent sure exactly she's making that assumption yeah so, yeah i yeah. thought that was really disappointing but mm. i came across that in my uh in my mamma mia follow-up mm. And last thing to say about Mamma Mia and Meryl mm. Streep is that my favourite moment of all time of all Meryl Streep films mm. is when she does the splits on that bed in Dancing Queen. <laughs> so good! And she was almost 60, I think. Yeah, Because the first was. film came out 10 years ago. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. And now she's 
69. I think one of my favourite performances of her ever was Devil Was Prada. Yeah, was I'm just, so glad that you've brought that up before we finish this section. She was so brilliant. Oh, and Sophie's Choice was just... Oh, I haven't seen that. No, I, I think Miranda Priestly as a character is just... Can't see Meryl Streep <gasps> in it at all. Can't no. see Meryl Streep and Margaret Thatcher. Can't no. see Margaret. You can't see Same Meryl. Post. And this you is can't see like... her in any of her characters. It's so incredible. Yeah. I think that's amazing. She just embodies them. Um, and I something yeah. that I hadn't fully appreciated until I listened to this BBC profile was how good she is at accents. Yeah. She's always been known as being Top. brilliant yeah. at accents. And now that they've said that, I really notice it when I was watching little clips of mm. the past roles that she's done. Absolutely. She also, fun fact. Um, has four kids. Um, she m- left LA to raise them in Connecticut because she hated the uh, Hollywood kind of lifestyle and felt like a complete outsider and wanted to have to give them a normal life. And um, yeah, she's been married to her husband for, I don't know, 50 years, 60 years, no, 50 years. Yeah. So I think I feel like very normal home life despite yeah. the enormous success that she has had. Yeah, very inspiring. The next figure for this week is that 22% of people are comfortable talking about their bank balance with their close friends. Which is interesting because I completely agree with those 22%. <laughs> so you don't feel comfortable talking about your bank balance with your any of your close friends? Um, I would tell them honestly if they asked me, yeah, but I wouldn't bring it up or expect them to bring it up but no. if they were burning to know I'd be like okay <laughs> <laughs> what about your boyfriend uh yeah I'll tell him and yeah. what about your parents um, sorry I feel like I'm being really interrogated no, that's fine um yeah I'll tell my parents I, I guess I don't really care but it's I just I do find it uncomfortable. I wouldn't I wouldn't like to talk about it or bring, like to bring it up. Mm. I don't think I've ever told my parents, my boyfriend, or my close friends my bank balance ever. Mm. Yeah, interesting. I think I'd tell them my salary, but I wouldn't tell them my bank balance. Yeah. Okay. Because it's just always low, isn't it? Because I, I move <laughs> money out for to save or I move it somewhere else or yeah. So it's always a pretty low level. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, just to put this um, stat into context a bit. So this was um, research that Starling Bank, which is where I work, has commissioned from YouGov. And they surveyed 2,000 people across the UK about how they feel about money, how they talk about money, would they be comfortable sharing their salary, what the kind of emotions that people feel when they talk about money, and broke it down by gender and age and different locations as well. And the purpose of this for Starling was really to try and start conversations about money and to ask why it is still such a taboo. So the people who were surveyed, 80% said that they would feel comfortable talking about their age with with their close friends, 71% for health, 67% for political beliefs, 61% for weight, 45% for mental health, 29% for sex life and 22% for bank balance. Yeah. So it is very mu- very low. Would you rather talk list. about your bank balance than your sex life? Depends who I'm speaking to. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's um, true. That's so but fair. then let's think about the confessions game <laughs> designed by the School of Life. Oh my god. We all were taking piles from relationship cards pile 
career pile, sex pile, not money pile. Well, we did take money pile, they just didn't, I mean... We wouldn't choose it though, would we? No, we wouldn't choose it. We wouldn't mm. choose it, because it's awkward. Mm. And then I was thinking, why is it awkward? Okay, so, that's very, it's very British to not talk about money. Why is it British to not talk about money? Okay, so, I think it's that we don't want to make anyone feel guilty for either way, either side of the spectrum. If yeah. you have a lot of money, you might feel guilty about that. Mm. If you have no money or very little money, you're going to feel guilty about that because you may not be able to do things with friends or yeah. you feel embarrassed about it. Mm. Um, and, and the so research backs that up, actually, because yeah. the people who earned a lot and people who earned a little, there wasn't a huge amount of difference in how uncomfortable no. people felt. When I was growing up, I was definitely given the impression that it's very vulgar to talk about money. Yeah. And, and not polite. And so I just never really spoken about it before mm. and also um uh, it's difficult because i think in different industries there's some people will feel more entitled to more money but because of what they're doing or the industry that they're in that just may not be the case yeah you know and so you just it's just awkward to talk about if you had a group of friends and they're all working in different areas then there's going to be different figures that are going to come up yeah absolutely mm. and I, I think that it being british is really interesting and this is something that emma gannon talked about in her book the multi-hyphen method which i've just finished and really enjoyed reading and there's a chapter on money at the end and she asks on Twitter, why do you people feel so uncomfortable about money? And one response is from someone who used to live in Australia and she says that she particularly noticed this when she moved to the UK. Um, I think there's a class issue as well. Yeah. I think that's why. Because in America, it's also not really as massive a taboo either. Mm. And America and Australia are just very different. From I wonder UK how it would compare way. to different um, countries in Europe as well. I think Europeans are really, really like a bit more straightforward I know for like in Germany and Switzerland it's kind of just yeah it's, it's just much more no I'd nonsense. also be really interested to see how it compares how the gender pay gap and how unequal pay differs in different countries and then what are the values and feelings and how often do people talk about money and whether that actually mm. has a relationship between them mm. um because one of the stats that uh was found in this research was that only 16 point so 16.5% of people wouldn't share their salary with anybody and that slightly more men said that they would be comfortable sharing their salary with their colleagues in comparison to women so 21% versus 17% but in terms of the wider implications of that if we if you don't know what your colleagues are earning and you mm. feel that you can't ever talk about it the conversation of a pay rise is going to be made a lot more difficult by by that fact. If you don't know what other people around you are earning, mm. then you don't really know how much to ask for. I oh, know. I definitely believe. That, yeah, and definitely in, in with your colleagues, I think that is a good idea. If so, mm. although again, it depends it on the context, though, doesn't it? Sometimes you're really friendly with your colleagues, and you're friendly with people at work, and mm. it can be a bit awkward to. Mm -hmm. So how much are you earning? And oh my yeah. God, that's way more than me. Or maybe you've discovered that they're earning less than you. Yeah. And that's just... That's but I, I mean, as Emma Gannon wrote in this chapter, that if there is a lot of secrecy around salaries, that can end up leading to things like unequal pay mm. in the workplace, mm. which usually has gender implications. Mm, definitely. Um, actually, speaking of Emma Gannon, I listened to an episode of her Control or Delete podcast, um, and she had uh, three women as panellists, 
uh, one of whom started up Peanut, which is the... Um, oh, Michelle Kennedy. Yeah, Michelle Kennedy. Yeah. Um, and she was talking about, you know, she started her own several businesses, but she had a very small team and a very small company. And she said that, you know, we don't actually always have the money to give people a pay rise and we don't have like quarterly reviews or, yeah, you know, any formal things in place in the early days. But it was so important if someone wanted to have to sort of have a race to come and mm. talk to me about it and then we'd always find a date for them in the future mm. and even though it's really kind of everyone's heart sinks a little bit at senior at the senior level because we're like we're gonna have to find this money somewhere yeah um and even even hearing her say that i was like ah, i can't ever ask for a pay rise because like you know that that's the reaction like in a small company especially because mm. they just don't have it um well, I think it's individual. It depends on the context for everybody. Oh, absolutely. But I think that when emotional things end up holding people back, mm. then that is really tricky and Definitely. problematic. Definitely. Do you think that it is beneficial being more open about money? Yeah, for sure. I think so. I don't think... I just... <laughs> it's one of those things where I think it's pretty great. I don't want to do it myself. Mm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, I don't want to talk about it. I just don't want to talk about it. Like, it's just really awkward like yeah I don't want to make anyone feel bad I don't want anyone to assume anything Mm. um and it's kind of weird but um I think as well there's also just an issue talking of like industry um the podcast I also listened to is called the fringe of it and they spoke about how um people who are like nurses or work in the NHS or who are carers and jobs that are arguably just some of the most important and difficult and difficult and they're not paid very highly at all and yet someone can be working in a job that isn't necessarily Mm. as emotionally taxing or whatever Mm. and it's paid like three times as much and I think that's where people just go a bit like I'd rather just not address it yeah you know so what do you think we can do to help people feel more comfortable with their finances if you think that's going to be something that's beneficial I don't know teach at school level yeah I think financial education I don't education think anyone knows really anything key. about finances to be honest unless yeah. you're really clued in by your parents yep um, and as well I think more and more now people are going into careers is something that Emma Gallen speaks about a lot about that are you know more freelance they're not necessarily salaried roles you can't mm-hmm. just go oh I'm earning this salary it's like oh I've actually got multiple streams of income now yeah um, and to sort of know how to manage that mm. and actually I think the multiple streams of income freelance is actually going to create an environment where people are a little bit more relaxed about it. Yeah, absolutely. She talks about that because if you are a freelancer, mm. you are setting a rate for mm. different projects. Yeah. So you're, and you can you're having to manage your money that. and talk about it. And I think those are scenarios where people are maybe more comfortable talking about Definitely. it. Definitely. Or you're running your own business. Michelle mm. Kennedy says this. She's like, you have to break those barriers yeah as soon as you can yeah and I feel like I'd be the same I feel like if I was running a business I would definitely want people who are working for me to just tell me what's what like I would mm-hmm. you'd have to if you, you can't be yeah uh, secretive about that stuff but um I think I think in social situations I think what I'm saying is in social situations I can completely see why yeah it's 22 percent yeah I think within the workplace and having the confidence to go up to your employer and ask for a raise I think that's so important also Another thing that they talk about a lot and that we just know generally is women place their worth a lot lower than men do. And apparently yeah. there was a study, which I need to link in the description, that apparently women on the whole were 
much, much, much more likely to do like unpaid in, unpaid internships yeah. and just like working for nothing. Mm. Um, and then, you know, expecting so much less than their male counterparts. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that financial education can be a really key part of that. And there are so many of these acronyms and jargon that is just mm. banks are so wrapped up in. And well, like an ISA. Like yeah. that's really cool, but everyone's kind of I feel like that sounds a bit scary and no one really yeah. knows what it is so I didn't know what it was until I started working at Starling mm. so it is an individual savings account mm. and it is a tax-free way of investing or saving and the limit for 2018 to 2019 is 20,000 pounds mm. and there are all sorts of very cool fintech apps or you can do this in a traditional bank um that you can round up your coffees for example so if you spend two pounds fifty on a coffee then 50 people go into the What's app, that app called? money box yes money box it's there's, really really good ads on the tube everywhere for it actually, yeah which yeah is i know about it and it links to your starling account which is very cool so and good. several other bank accounts so as well good. um Starling is really good for that. Um, the banks that make it really easy for you to just set up a savings account or a goal or mm. to put money um, away is really good. And also just talking... I quite like that people are now talking about saving more because I feel like we don't... We also That's something we also don't talk about. Um, I and agree. And also, one thing that crossed my mind, which I wrote down earlier, which was it's definitely much more socially acceptable to say that you have no money than to say that you're comfortable or that you don't, you have enough money. Um, mm. And that is often because we like relate money with success. Yeah. And um, I think people feel a little bit, may feel a little bit embarrassed to say like, oh, I actually can't go out because I don't have any money, which is, they shouldn't do. Um, but I think but it's true. Do. And also we're scrolling, if you think about it, we scroll through Instagram all the time, right? Yeah. And all we see are people's probably most extravagant or most expensive you know, events, weekends. Because it's being showcased. Trips, yeah. because that's what's being showcased. Whereas we're on our own on a Friday, mm. you know, not going out because we don't have yeah. enough money or whatever. But they're also going to be doing that at some mm. point down the line too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it will change as you get older because we may be able to say, oh, I'm really sorry, I don't have any money right now. Mm. But if you're, you know, if you've got a family mm. or, yeah, you're not going mm. to be sharing that. And I think that the anxiety and the stress that can go along with money is huge and it can become mm. such a problem in so many different parts of your life as mm. well. My aunt's a financial planner and she said that the reason, one of the reasons she did it is she said that actually it's one of the most fulfilling things that you can do for people is make them feel secure about their money. Yeah. And she says people just leave her just feeling like a hundred pounds lighter because they're, no pun intended, um, <laughs> or dollars, um, because they have a clear plan yeah. and strategy as to what they're going to do mm. rather than just feeling like in the dark about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but would you, would you uh, share your bank balance with your uh, close friends? Yeah, I think I would, but I think that this is because I am working in an environment where we are trying to be more open and transparent about mm. money. You're very, you're very good about that. You're very open and transparent about it, and it's like it's really. It's, at first, I was like, it was really confronting because that's I, really interesting. I, none of my other friends have ever said to me like their salary, yeah, or their bank balance, or anything like that, yeah, and. But I can share it with you because we're in we're the same age, right? And we're no, but no, no, we're close, close friends. friends. We're close friends. We're close friends, and actually, the argument that I'm trying to make is that why shouldn't you say? Yeah, <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter. I'm not going to mm. make any kind of a judgment on you. Mm. And actually, it's definitely made me much more confident to talk about it because 
you almost made it like not a big deal when yeah. you talk about it. That's really like, interesting. It's just, it's just what I earn. One and of, like it doesn't yeah. mean that I'm necessarily this or this. Um, it, that's just that's just a fact right now. Yeah, but I I really liked looking at what people answered when we asked in the survey how we could help people feel more financially confident mm. and the answers were checking your balance regularly yeah which we can sometimes avoid doing which you can definitely avoid doing yeah but which starling is trying to help you with because you get notifications every time money goes in and out mm-hmm. which is brilliant mm. also breaks down and categorizes all of your spending so yeah, you can't really hide useful. anymore from how much you're spending on things and it's not like we want it to be scary and confronting it's so that you you've got that tool and then you can see okay I'm spending a little bit too much on eating out next month I'm going to try and bring more lunch to work or whatever it is um and as part of this we've also launched some cinema ads which uh, will be in cinemas in London and it's people who are printed with what they've spent on their bodies it's quite a kind of provocative it's very provocative but it is trying to start a conversation it's trying yeah. to st- make people think could you do things in a different way and then starling which is an app only bank might be able to help you with your mm. budgeting help you with your saving help you become more financially aware mm. absolutely it's yeah. a really good it's a really good app i think it will help a lot of people mm-hmm. We've also just launched our new portrait cards which is so 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 exciting what are portrait cards so like the normal bank cards. We flipped it from landscape to portrait because if you think about how you use your bank card normally, if you're tapping contactless, you <gasps> use it portrait. I didn't you, know that. Yeah, if you put it into the machine or the ATM machine, you're always using it in a portrait Wait, way. So does your is your name then across the bottom? It's on the back of the card. Oh. And they are teal for personal cards and navy for business cards. How? What was the thinking behind the colours? It's partly to do with the name Starling, um, which was inspired by the birds, and oh, yeah, of course. The, the you find plumage of the Starling bird is teal, navy, and purple, which are our three colours. And plumage it the, are the feathers. The feathers, yeah. The final image that we're going to be talking about today is one of the Pinawala Elephant Orphanage in Sri Lanka which I decided not to go to and I'm incredibly grateful that I did make that decision and it was after I read an article by Hand Luggage Only which was describing their experience. So Elephant Orphanage, is that different to an elephant sanctuary? No, they're really similar. Okay, so they're similar. Are there lots of elephant sanctuaries in Sri Lanka? I think that there are, but was that the, something the... that you, when you went to Sri Lanka, was like, I'm gonna, that's one of my kind of to-do list? No, because I'd been to an elephant sanctuary in Thailand, oh, okay. and I had spent a long time researching which one to go to, and I've actually since found a really great website which is called Thailand Elephants, mm. and we'll link it because if you are going to go to Thailand and want to experience this look at this website first because they list the good ones and they list the bad ones and the bad ones you please don't give your money to them because this is actually perpetuating so much cruelty to elephants Mm, and that's such a good website to have yeah it's really good and it didn't exist i don't think until quite recently but i went to the elephant jungle sanctuary and had a really brilliant time and we there was no riding um which is crucial And what I didn't know beforehand is that if you do ride elephants, they basically have, in their spines, they've got little protrusions. So if you ride them, you're damaging and bruising those in a way that you wouldn't necessarily with other animals. And the elephants are not supposed to have anything on their back. They're not supposed to have heavy weight. 
mm. on their back, and yet it's people sort of a, are riding them. Sort of such a tourist. It thing, is. Isn't it? It's so, a bucket list thing, and it shouldn't be a bucket list thing. No. Why is all. it a bucket list thing? Is it because it's it looks good I think on Instagram? It's, it's romanticized, yeah, yeah, and because it looks good on Instagram. It does, it's and it's very it, it's that's one example of elef- of animal and ecotourism, which is not eco mm. at all. Tigers as well, massive problem. It was awful. I remember seeing images of t- friends in the year above who went on their gap years, and they yeah. were like standing next to these tigers, and it's because they've been they're completely drugged. Yeah, they're so like yeah. Mm. With Same with even swimming, even swimming with dolphins, that can be problematic and they're not looked after properly. Um, but yeah, Pinawala Elephant Orphanage is promoted as you know one of the great things to do on the Sri Lanka loop. And I read this article and decided to skip and I changed my plans and I ended up volunteering back in Gaul, which was great, within a school. So I just didn't want to be anywhere near that place, to be honest. Um... Yeah, you've you've read the article, so what mm. what was what did you find most shocking about it? Um, that they well, it wasn't really an, like a sanctuary at all. That was they went in, they were asked for money, then they were asked for more money, and then they went and saw these elephants that were in chains, and it sort of had transpired that they had been there for up to six months. Yeah, um, and that they weren't treated very well at all. And mm. what's weird is that a sanctuary is supposed to be an enclosure that isn't about breeding, buying or selling animals, but acquires them who can't who can't survive in the wild mm-hmm. and they're intended to be released back into the wild when they're able to. Often animals in sanctuaries aren't necessarily interacting with humans because they're too they're unable to. Yeah. Uh, whereas a zoo acquires animals by selling them, buying, breeding, mm-hmm. trading, or they capture them from the wild. Um, they also need, this is a point that is obvious, but I didn't think of this, but they say that zoos also need a constant supply of baby animals to attract more visitors. And then when they get overpopulated, then they'll just sell them on again, or they'll hunt them, or they'll, you know, maybe yeah. give them to other animals to eat, I don't know. Yeah. And then in very, very small spaces. Mm. Um, but then it kind of, and I've been to a few animal sanctuaries in Australia that are incredible, and that the uh, the guys who work there were just oh, amazing and obviously loved what they did. And the area, it wasn't really an enclosure. It was so open that we just had kangaroos jumping up to us. I'm actually going to um, insert one of the videos uh, of the kangaroo that Teddy and I were hanging out with. Oh, I um, love that video. On the, isn't it great? <laughs> you know, I'm going to put it on part of, as part of the episode Instagram post just to, just as a positive for the sanctuary experience because that was amazing. Mm. But it, that got me thinking about sanctuaries in general because how do we know yeah, we don't which know. ones are, We don't know. Mm. Um, and I say that I had a great experience in Thailand when I went to mm. this elephant jungle sanctuary, but... That's just me, and if I'd gone on a di- another day, who knows? Maybe they you would may- have seen something. I dodgy. might have seen something that I didn't like at all, which is why I think that this website, which is recommending the good ones, mm. is um is really really good, and why I wanted to talk about this to raise awareness because if you are travelling to any of these places mm. across Asia, they are advertised as a kind of fun activity. They're not very expensive. You get really close to the elephants and they take loads of photos which are then posted all over Instagram. Mm. And if it is part of animal cruelty, essentially, Mm. this is not something that we should be giving a platform to and it's something that more people need to be aware of and speak out against. Definitely. What about zoos in the UK? Because I will not ever go to another zoo. Because it's, um, yeah, you mentioned that, you know, activity that's fun and sort of, 
as a child, that's zoo I know. is a token outing. I isn't know. It? And actually, now looking back at it, it's horrific. It's really awful. It's really horrific. I don't think I'll ever go to another zoo. Take my children to zoos. No. You can go. We can experience those sorts of things in the habitat in which they belong. I don't think you yeah. want to be going to a zoo. Yeah. Um, just because I think it's awful. Yeah, it's really tricky. But then I think lots of zoos would argue that they are you know, raising awareness for endangered animals. But and apparently the best way to help endangered animals is to actually conserve their habitat and yeah. not lock them up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, which goes back to the sustainability argument mm. and the vegan argument. And all of yeah. that stuff, all links back. And actually WWF <laughs> are a really brilliant charity. And if you are interested in this, you can sponsor an individual panda or mm. polar bear. I've done a tiger over the years. Um dolphins i think maybe now as well they've got loads mm. of different animals and you get send a little cuddly toy which is great <laughs> and it's just a really lovely way for your children to be involved as well if you have got you know godchildren or nieces and nephews or whatever it's a really lovely birthday present to give this sponsor an animal and mm. help an endangered endangered animal do you think the same argument could be said obviously for aquariums um mass fishing i mean it's sort of i haven't looked into it enough mm. um but from ex my experiences in namibia as well because i spent two weeks volunteering in an elephant no sorry a wildlife sanctuary there mm. and that was something that is again you don't know what it's going to be like until you're actually there mm. and my brother's been and he's since been back and we've had incredible experiences in this place and we've seen that if this didn't have volunteers who go it just wouldn't run. Mm. And they've got baby baboons because baboons are pests in Africa. And so they will often be shot by farmers and then the baby baboons are left and they are rescued by this sanctuary. And uh, yeah, it was absolutely wonderful. And I'm incredibly lucky to have had that experience, but it really, really opened my eyes to other, mm. the way that animals are treated in other places. Absolutely. And I just had a thought enter my mind of, if, you're never, if you never go to a zoo, <clears throat> You may never see those animals in the wild. I know. But, like, I... but let's think about um, David Attenborough. Mm. I mean, you were seeing those animals in their, you know, Again, natural I, 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 lo I think this is probably our third reference to David Attenborough in our <laughs> podcast so far, which I love because he is great. Um, and I think he definitely raised so much, so much awareness them. for animals in the wild Did and you see habitats. that he was trending on Twitter last week? How, how come? Because he's, um, he's been raising awareness about butterflies. Oh, and there was this awful BBC interview, oh, and one of the presenters asked him why butterflies are colourful or something, and like it was so awkward. <laughs> but when I saw that he was trending, I literally got butterflies in my stomach, and oh, I no. thought, oh my god, oh my god, what's happened? Please, no, oh, and he's fine. Okay. He's fine. Okay, good. Yeah, no, he's I, I know. Alive and well. It was just it was, it was because of that weird, awkward <laughs> butterfly interview. Um, he also refuses to talk about his relationship with the Queen, which apparently they're quite close. Oh, and he never talks about it, but people always ask him about it anyway. I love that. But yeah, just going back to elephants, have you ever um, had any experience of seeing elephants or no. being around them? No. Okay. I hope that you do one day mm. in a really wonderful sanctuary. I've seen, them in, them. I've seen them in zoos in, in the UK and, yeah. and zoos. They and stuff, are some but I've of, not touched them. Oh my gosh. They are some of my absolute favourite animals. A and lot of people say that. I have so much respect for these incredibly intelligent, magnificent creatures. And I actually read quite a lot for this episode about how intelligent they are. So they've got 300 billion neurons in their brains and they've got a similar level of kind of connections that we have. 
and they can also use tools so they quite often are using sticks to like swap flies away from them that's so cool they can be taught how to paint they also have tested elephants with the mirror self-recognition test which is that they wow. will put um, a cross on the elephant and then they put them in front of a mirror and they see whether they have awareness of what is their own reflection that's so clever mm. so clever but the way that they communicate and they grieve for any of the the people the elephants in their herd which have died um they've even been known to bury them and they become very distressed if they come across a carcass or a skull of an elephant. And one of the most incredible stories I've heard about elephants, I mean, there are so many, was in The Elephant Whisperer by Lawrence Anthony. It's one of my favourite books. And I read it while I was in Africa and I just loved it. Um, so Lawrence Anthony was a really controversial conservationist and he actually rescued loads of animals from the Baghdad Zoo when they were all being they were all starving basically and i think there were only there were 35 left animals out of 650 that were alive and he managed to rescue lots of the lions but he passed away and he had a very special relationship with these rogue elephants that he had rescued which otherwise would have been shot and he really became kind of part of their group formed very special bonds especially with an elephant called nana and 12 hours after he died all of the elephants were gathered around his house and they didn't move. So they have this sense of what's going on. Loads of animals do. They really do. And loads of animals yeah. do. Like so many of them. Horses are oh, one yeah. of my favourite animals. Yeah. Um, and uh, oh, that's so lovely. That's I such know. a lovely story. It's really, really beautiful. And I think that when the tsunami happened, lots of the elephants were going and finding higher ground before it happened. With people on them. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. There was one girl that was rescued by an elephant. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Wow. Mm. Wow. <clears throat> but, yeah, we just thought this was an important thing to talk about. Um, and some research by the World Animal Protection um, Foundation was that they surveyed 3,000 sanctuaries, which had no rides, no washing, and no circus tricks. So these are sanctuaries that you'd think would be good, and they found that only 200 of them were providing acceptable conditions. Wow. This was over two years that they were studying this across a lot of Asia. So be aware of so any really kind be aware. of sanctuary and really do yeah. your research, basically. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The Figure. Episode 10 is really, 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 really exciting for us. And um, we are just so grateful for everyone's support. Seriously, every time we receive any kind of message, we just, we're so happy. So yeah, thank you absolutely. so much. And we just always love to hear from you. So do tweet us at The Figure Podcast mm -hmm. on Instagram and on Twitter. And email and us at thefigurepodcast at gmail.com. And um, if you have any ideas or anything that you would like us to cover, then please let us know. We would love to have your suggestions. Equally, if you've got any charities that you think that we, we would be interested in, we'd also love to hear about that. Until next week. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.